Hello and welcome to Cognitive Urbanism. This is Justin Hollander and you are tuning in to the eighth episode, episode number eight in this podcast. I have been um, following my um, listeners and I was really just so pleased to see a couple folks on Twitter calling this the best urban podcast out there on iTunes, and so uh, <laughs> anyone else who wants to, to chime in and um, offer reviews or say that exact same thing on Twitter, I would uh, you know appreciate it. No, it's, it's really just uh, nice to, to get some positive feedback. This uh, is a place where I've been talking about different research projects that I've been involved in, different big ideas in urban planning. And today I have a focus that is going to draw on some of um, some interests that I've been exploring around something I call the Urban Attitudes Lab. But before I talk about any kind of laboratory, I have to tell you guys a story. So this is going to sound a little strange, so please just bear with me. Uh, it was uh, the summer that just passed. I was wearing t-shirts a lot in the summer and I noticed on one of my t-shirts the strangest very faint circle shape but like as if someone with a thin gray marker drew a, a, a perfect circle probably about the diameter about two and a half inches diameter um, just kind of in the the center of my t-shirt and I thought well no big deal I'll just you know wash it off and um, put it in the laundry Few days later, I saw it again on another T-shirt. Wash that one. It came out. Seems to seem to come out in the wash. And after the third, I I got a little worried. I mean, I was pretty sure that there was a third of a separate shirt was having exactly the same problem. Okay, so. If I was living in the 20th century, I'm not really sure what I would do. I mean, I certainly, I, I, after the second shirt, I had started asking around to various friends and family. I mean, what do you think this is? Where does this come from? This strange, faint circle on my shirts. And, of course, people joked about crop circles. They joked, joked about those uh, circles that were, were appearing in aerial photography over parts of, I think, in, mainly in the UK, but also different parts of the country, that were these circles in different, you know, elaborate patterns that you could only see from the sky and arguably you could only make from a, from a, van, a high vantage point. But farmers were, were seeing these, these patterns emerging in their, in their farms. So as the story goes, they, there were a few people who kind of discovered that it was really just a hoax. I'm not going to uh, go out on a limb and say all crop circles are hoaxes, but certainly that some of them were. And, and, and so I think the implication was that maybe aliens were, were generating these, these uh, patterns. They were trying to communicate with each other. So here I was confronted with a very real possibility that, that some sort of alien life form was, was trying to communicate, maybe with me, maybe with someone else, on my T-shirts, these, these very faint circle pattern. So really, I mean, just so off the wall. And so again, not that long ago, in the 1980s or 90s, I would have basically just kind of been left with that. Maybe I could have talked to some some scientists, but basically that's where I would have been left. 
But today, February 2016, we live in the internet age. And so what did I do? What does everyone do in this kind of situation? I went to Google and I typed in strange circles on my shirt. Something like that. I don't remember the exact keyword search. But, you know, roughly something just asking, you know, Siri or Google, like, what's going on here? It was on the first page of responses, of of search results. On some sort of a discussion board, a person posted the exact same question. And somewhere between two and three people responded. The first one was, it's probably nothing, just wash it. But the second one was, this same thing happened to me. What I was doing, this is what the person wrote in the response, what I was doing is I was taking a can of cooking spray, like a Pam spray, and because when you're cooking, you you know, we're not an octopus, you only have two hands, right? So you're, you're kind of balancing, and so so after he sprayed, this is what he explains on the website, after he sprayed, in order to get that top clipped on, you know, you take the top off the spray, the spray, to put it back on. You need to kind of push hard. You need two hands to push hard. So what he would do is he would flip it over and push the top against his chest to make it click. And then it clicked for me because I actually was doing exactly the same thing. So since then, <laughs> I while I certainly don't have a free hand usually when I cook, I, I put down whatever spoon I'm holding and I make sure to use my hands to, to, to close the top of the, the Pam spray. So why, in a, in a, in a podcast on, on urban planning, cognitive urbanism, I tell you this, this pretty absurd story, it's because of the hive mind, what's the nickname for the way the internet helps us communicate with each other the the hive being of course you know like a beehive or other types of in hive based insects so so by congregating all of our kind of just completely random i mean you could not think of a more random uh non-typical type of question why are there odd circles <laughs> appearing on my t-shirt i mean that it, it was there though it was there and that we live in this age where, really, that tells me everything that people are thinking about is there. And, well, in this case, there was a question, there was an answer. I mean, I personally found, <laughs> there's not always an answer, but, um, so this, this vast store of information is useful when dealing with uh, these kinds of issues where I kept ruining my shirts. But when we talk about the problems of cities and how do we do a better job of planning and designing our built environment? Oftentimes, the best place to start is information and knowledge. Now, I've supervised uh, teams in a, a course we teach at Tufts called Field Projects. I supervise these teams, usually between three and five students, and they work with a, a professional client say, for example, a city or a town or a federal agency, and they, they work with the, this client to solve some sort of urban policy planning or related uh, project. 
And what I train them to do is before you launch into solving the problem, you've got to understand it. You've got to study it. You've got to collect information and, and, and data. And so this is what I wanted to focus this, this podcast on because we are right now in the midst of this revolution in terms of how do you understand what's happening in the world? How do you understand a problem? Now, of course, we have the conventional methods that have been around for, for centuries, various kinds of you know, demographic analysis, the collection of uh, surveys of population characteristics, economic data, environmental data, which, you know, with the advent of uh, low-cost uh, uh, geographic information systems and aerial photography and raster data, you know, you've got, you can get some pretty cool insight into what's going on in a, a place physically just by, you know, looking at that, those kinds of views. I mean, actually, I remember we were doing this project looking at uh, Detroit, and what, I, what we found was that you could measure whether or not uh, buildings were occupied based on the infrared imagery that was collected through um, through aerial photography, that, and that was um, it was based on the heat that was being emanated um, and the light that was being reflected at nighttime. So certainly lots of lots of different types of data sources, but but I bring us back to the internet. I bring us back to the hive mind as a way to kind of talk about what. I think is really such an exciting new way for us to, to, to do planning and to to be shaping the cities and towns that we live in and, and the built environment. So the idea here is that people are using the internet to, to, to talk about their lives and communicate. But if you can find the right algorithm to extract meaning from all that, and translate it into into knowledge, then, then that's going to be a, an improvement upon the kind of standard methodologies that we've we've been teaching in in how to how to do urban planning policy practice. So I created uh, was a couple years ago the Urban Attitudes Lab here at Tufts, working with. Uh, a whole bunch of tough students. Um, Dibiendu Das, is a, he was a graduate student here at Tufts in Engineering, and uh, several other students who are kind of listed on, on our website if you want to check it out. And, and what we were interested in doing was, was how do we take just one internet source, Twitter? How do we extract data from Twitter? And Twitter does make their data available through what's called an API. How do we extract it, organize it, analyze it, and process it in a way that's going to be user-friendly and help help inform planning and public policy work? And so we've actually had quite a lot of success in, in, in doing just that. And we've, we've done, it's got to be by now, half a dozen projects in different types of settings and urban and rural and big and small. And, and right now we have ongoing quite a few projects. And so what's so exciting is that it, we're, we're really starting to kind of chart a new way to understand. So, so that back to that example of the field projects, the students working in these teams with the client. So before diving into solving the problem, now we have this new insight. Now, right now, the only thing that my team has perfected is, is using Twitter. But, but that's 
that is something and 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 frankly it's a uh, it's pr been pretty useful it starts to really point us into the direction to what is going on in this place what are some of the issues that there that people are talking about how are they talking about it is it positive or negative there's a paper that i'm always citing which really references this idea that if you also look closely very closely at the language and the tone of what people are saying you can actually predict their well-being you can you can use that data at a very fine scale. I mean, you can get down to like a city block and you can use that to predict the well-being and the health of the people who are living in this area. So hive mind, big data, this stuff is really transformative. Um, I definitely encourage you to look at the website. It's a, there's a link from my, I have a Tufts website. If you just go from there, Urban Attitudes Lab, Definitely check it out. I'd love to kind of hear your feedback and, and, and thoughts. But I think what's important is that what we're doing is just the start. There's lots and lots of opportunity. And I encourage you to, to, do, to join this effort. And, and you know, we're only looking at, at Twitter. I, I know Ed Glazer at Harvard, he's been doing some really interesting stuff using uh, Google Street View. Uh, another you know extraordinary source of data that on the internet that, that really wasn't available um, until very recently but there's new sources that are constantly coming on at the uh, the example of the crop circles and the and the t-shirts I mean it's, this is like just one one kind of view of, of how how potentially expansive of the internet is and will be as we as we look for that that insight into you know what's going on in people's lives and in and, and, and places and and how we can do a better job of, of planning and designing the built environment well thank you very much for for listening i appreciate the support of the this podcast and look forward to the next iteration have a nice one